Hello, everyone, and welcome to Just Dow It, the podcast for people starting DAOs. I'm Adam Miller, and I'm your host. I'm the CEO of MyDAO, which provides legal entity solutions for DAOs. And prior to starting MyDAO, I did consulting for people starting and operating DAOs. We are recording live for the third time. And right after we record live, we will publish to our podcast feed. Hopefully, we don't have any issues with the live stream, but please leave a comment if we do so that we know and we can try to fix it. And also, don't forget to check out our new series on Just Dowit, which is the Dow Masterclass, where my colleague Jana will interview leading lawyers and other professional advisors in the space to get their thoughts on what's going on with DAOs and give you non-legal advice. Uh, welcome to our guest, Sky. So we've had Sky on the show before about a year ago. Uh, Sky is a leader in the DAO space. He's been involved since uh, well before... Uh, I was involved in DAOs and really excited to catch up with him today, not only about all the cool stuff happening in the world of DAOs, but especially about DXDAO, which is one of the earliest DAOs uh, in existence. They had uh, raised a lot of money, built several DeFi products and related products and recently dissolved. So really interested in, in learning more about that and hearing um, you know, wh why that happened and what it means and, and you know, how we can reflect on that and learn for, for people that are starting DAOs today. So first of all, before we dive into the show, Sky, would you just give a brief introduction to yourself and as usual, what makes you an authority on DAOs? Yeah, thanks, Adam. It's good to be back on the show. It's cool to be on a live version of it, which I don't think I've been on one of those. Um, I, yeah, I've been a contributor in the DAO space for probably over three years now, um, from small community DAOs to some big DeFi DAOs, um, some public goods focus, uh, good focused DAOs. Um, I've been doing that kind of full time across different communities. Um, one of the things I focus on a lot is bringing knowledge and lessons from one community to the other, to others, um, sharing that, uh, seeing how we can, uh, use lessons learned from certain communities and bring those to other communities. And so, yeah, uh, most recently, like one of the topics we've been talking a lot about in, in different events, different spaces is the life cycle of DAOs, which is really interesting and we can get into later. But, you know, most of the DAOs that have been created over the last few years, no one ever really thought about when those DAOs might end or how they would end or what would happen. And I, I think it was kind of just assumed they would all live on forever, but clearly that's probably not going to happen. And it's very hard for that to happen. So we're learning a lot of things about that and it will now change how we think about DAOs and what to do going forward, I think. Yeah, it's awesome. I, that's one of the really cool things happening right now in the world of DAOs. I think a lot of people are having the chance to reflect on their first one or two cycles of, of starting a DAO, being in DAOs, things either going well or not going well. And, and now we can learn from all of that. So that is really cool. As usual, we will start this episode with the Just Dow It News Report. Uh, that'll be about the first half of the show. And in the second half, we will dig deeper into the guest interview with Sky about his experience and, and all the things we can learn from, from that experience. So for the news report, I will be summarizing the following stories for the audience and for our guests. And then we will share our reactions, our hot takes, if we agree or disagree with the story and what we think it means for people starting DAOs. So the first story of the week is from Decrypt. And the headline is, what is a decentralized autonomous organization, DAO? 
And I chose this article because I actually do think it's useful to keep returning to this question of what is a DAO, because there's still disagreement uh, in the space. You hear uh, varying things depending on who you ask. And, and so I think it's just it's useful for us to keep asking ourselves this question and, and learning what we can from answering it. Um, what this article says that I want us to agree or disagree with is... A DAO, or Decentralized Autonomous Organization, is a business structure where control is spread out rather than hierarchical. DAOs are organized using smart contracts with participants using governance tokens to vote on topics such as fund allocation. So I'm going to react to a couple of things here. Um, I think it's a, it's a good start. And, and often I see, especially in the, in the press, when someone defines DAO, it's not usually exactly what, what I would say. Um, the first thing I'll take issue with is calling it a business structure because a lot of DAOs are not businesses, right? They might be uh, charities that don't think of themselves as businesses. They might be a community or a club or an association or I don't know what, what I mean, maybe I'm, I'm not even thinking of some of the types of organizations out there, but it doesn't have to be a business. Um, so maybe let me stop there, Sky, get your reaction to any of the definition uh, and yeah. then I'll, I'll, I'll share more. Yeah, uh, defining DAOs is hard. I agree with your point that um, it definitely doesn't have to be a business. Usually it's, I would say, a very very high level, a group of people with a common shared interest, right? Uh, most of these DAOs and groups tend to be organizing online, which is a new way, a new place to organize compared to, you know, 10 years, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, where generally organized with people very local to you. So a grocery store co-op is a good example of what could be, you know, it's a cooperative, it's a collective, it's, it could be, you could call it a DAO, but it's very, very local. Like you live in the town with those people and you kind of actually, you already know most, you know some of the people. And so that, that allows you to do things with that group that you wouldn't be able to do with strangers on the internet. And so the DAO tooling, the coolest thing is, it's the first time we've ever had a way for uh, random people or handles on the internet that can work together, manage resources together, and do it without having to trust um, someone in the middle or trust one of the people. And so man and that has to do with often managing the capital, and that can also be with uh, the decision make the decision making that takes place. But that is why this technology is so interesting. And you can actually only build that technology on something like a decentralized blockchain because you can't build that technology on a centralized platform because then you have to trust the person running the centralized platform. So at the end of the day, it all comes down to decentralization, which is why the decentralized part of DAO is probably the most interesting and important part of that. Um, and yeah, organizing, it's a new way to coordinate uh, that we're all learning about it's really powerful and then the first part about it being less higher hierarchic hierarchical hierarchical um <laughs> you <got> versus <laughs> more flat that is generally true i would say you think of it as like if it was a business replace the ceo with a collective so it doesn't mean like everyone is dead flat it just means the ceo doesn't exist anymore the big decisions are going to be made by the collective, which is a group, which is everyone that has this, this governance power. But DAOs, we are learning, have to get really good at delegation. And so 
once the DAO can do delegation and, and assign responsibilities and move capital to certain places, then you do have a bit of hierarchy. Um, but that's okay because the collective, which is the boss, has the power to take back any of that that it, it granted. And so that is the key to why it's a, such a new, interesting way to organize. I, I love that point because, and, and I'm hearing more and more people in the DAO space acknowledge uh, this uh, fact that DAOs don't have to be completely flat as long as the ultimate power does uh, rely uh, does does rest in the hands of the members in whatever distribution is intended for that project or that organization. Then, uh, to me, even if they want to elect a CEO, that's fine, right? So, so to me, it's the 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 DAO takes the place of somewhere in between, like the shareholders, the board, and the CEO. And, and you could be as broad as, as the shareholders are the DAO, and you could elect a board if you want to, and then that board could elect a CEO, or you could, you could directly, as the governance token holders, elect a CEO, or to your point, you could actually you know, do a lot of the things that CEOs normally do as a collective. And in any of those cases, the important thing uh, in a lot of situations is because it's so cheap, easy, and fast, and global to vote, that governance group can do a lot more, a lot more easily than any governance group could in the past. So like a board, they have to use email, they have to have meetings and, and vote live. Um, shareholders would have to do like a proxy valid or sign PDFs, which would take weeks. And so even if you wanted to give the shareholders more power, it's really hard to do because you can only have them vote to replace the CEO every so often. But now if a DAO did want to elect a CEO, they could also unelect that CEO as quickly as, as they elected him or her. Um, yeah. And so that, that's, that's part of what I see as the value. Totally. I, I don't like, like, generally, we're not seeing DAOs elect CEOs, but you are right True. that it's possible. Um, yep. But delegation, delegating certain responsibilities is definitely important. Yeah. Um, what, we, what we have learned and what we don't want to continue to do is doing things in this new decentralized way is often very new and hard. And so a lot of times the easy answer to that is to use centralization. So if, but if we just, if we just always just go, oh, we're going to solve this problem by electing a CEO for six months and see how that goes. And yeah, we could take it back after six months. That's ideally for me, that's not the way we uh, experiment in the space. Uh, some people should try it. But in general, we don't always want to try to just fall back to something that will work by using centralization. If we can try to work through it in, in some de more decentralized and more fair and more collective way, is that that's kind of my opinion? Yeah, that's a good point, and I think it depends a lot on the goals of the project, right? I mean, some projects the goal is like create the best product as fast as we can, and if that's the case, you might be willing to make uh, sacrifices or trade offs in other areas like decentralization. But if the goal is this is a group of people where we want to share power widely and share responsibility for governance because either that's just a value that we all share or we believe that's what makes the project successful in the long run, then you're going to make many fewer compromises in that regard. 
Um, so yep. I think it's different. But, but you're right. I mean, like most people starting DAOs today, they're doing it because they want to do something more democratically than they could have with an old fashioned governance structure. And so in most DAOs, right, like you said, there's no CEO, there's no board. Well, actually, a lot of DAOs, unfortunately, do have a board. And I think that's a big problem with um, DAOs like, you know, Arbitrum, for example, where, you know, when they, they launched the first vote, and I think we talked about this in the last episode a couple of weeks ago, but, you know, they launched the first vote on the system and uh, everyone voted no. And then the foundation board said, actually, the answer is yes. <laughs> and yep. so unfortunately, a lot of big DAOs actually do have that type of, you know, corporate or foundation structure. Um, and that really does go against, I think, what, what the intention is and most people bring into that type of situation. Yeah. DAOs do take take different shapes and sizes, and so at, uh, you probably here have heard me say this before, but um, for true, proper, and on-chain DAOs, if your vote takes action, it's more interesting and more powerful, in in my opinion. If your vote, which like you, they can say you have a governance token or a share or a, a say, but if you actually do that vote, and it doesn't. And it's more of a signal. And then someone, some other smaller group or person can decide whether or not to implement that. For me, that's a problem. That's a, that's a, that's a point in this, that's a point in the system that is a more centralized failure point. And so yeah. those are less interesting to me, um, even though we have those and those are okay for some people to experiment with. But at the end of the day, the, the real strong, uh, unstoppable systems will truly be without without basically any centralized points of failure along the, along the entire yeah. process. Yep. Love it. All right. Let's turn to the next article of the week. Uh, this one is from jdsupra.com, which is a legal uh, journal. And the headline is Managing DAO-Related Risks. So this is an article by several individuals, and they've tried to dig in from a legal perspective into what a lot of the risks are that DAOs and their members face. So I just want to read um, from an outline in the article uh, what these authors see as the top risks. And let's see if we can identify an, a missing risk or agree or disagree with, with any of these. So first of all is the regulatory risk. So whatever the actual work is of the DAO, right, what are the regulations that might apply to that situation? Um, so like in the Uki DAO case, which a lot of people have heard of and we'll talk a little bit more about, um, you know, they were providing what was later deemed as clearly financial services. And so if you're a DAO that provides financial services, you better think about regulations related to financial services. Um, interpersonal risk, right? Things going wrong with the social structure or disagreement or drama uh, within the DAO. Smart contract risk. So could there be a bug in the smart contract or an unintended consequence in the smart contract or, or a way of uh, manipulating the smart contract? There is progressive decentralization risk. So interesting note that a lot of DAOs start out as, as fairly centralized with the plan to be to decentralize over time. But what if they don't or what if they don't do it well? There is intermediary risk. So to the point you were just talking about, Sky, that DAOs can sometimes rely on intermediaries such as a multi-sig that actually controls the money that's supposed to do what the DAO says they should do, but won't necessarily do that. 
Uh, finally, governance risk. So this refers to, in this article, the risk of governance attacks or other situations where a small group of people can get a hold of a large portion of the governance rights, even though it wasn't the intention, and then they can either drain the treasury or just move things in whatever direction they want to. So this is a, a really good starting point list of, of risks facing DAOs. Uh, is there anything, Sky, that you would react to or add or differ with? Uh, well, th yeah, those are all risks. Um, we know that risks, there will be many risks in this when we're like on the edge of new technologies and things. Uh, it is great to identify and think more about these risks. I don't know if in this article they're pro providing any solutions. Like the people that I hang out with in the space, we probably are aware of these risks. We have identified them. And what we try to do every day is we try to come up with the solutions to these risks because identifying risks is easy. It's the figure out how to prevent these risks. And so whether it's like in the DeFi space and there's this protocol DAO or I'm using a protocol, you know, there's always smart contract risks. The more complex it is, probably the more risky it is. But there's, you know, the longer these things are around with, with not having, uh, you know, contract risks and things we get, we start to become more comfortable that they're, they're like holding up to what the code, what we think the code's going to do. And so with each one of those, that's one example, that's smart contract risk um, versus some new project that just gets deployed tomorrow. And then we all think we're going to go into that, into that system. That's probably a lot more risky. And so that's an example of taking an approach to one of the risks in the space uh, with the decentralization or progressive decentralization risk, I agree that all these projects that start very centralized, which tend to be small teams with very talented people that that then deploy something and they want to become a decentralized DAO, the, the problems that they have is they often have trouble distributing the governance power. Basically, mm -hmm. what you want to do is you want to get your governance power in the hands of who would be the best governors of this system. and But that's really, really hard to do. And mm. there's smart people doing certain airdrops and token drops and, and pinpointing exactly who should get these tokens and trying to get those governance tokens in the hands of the right people. And then what you'll only really know if you, get, if you do that, you get the right governors, you get the power in those people's hands, and then you start to have them govern the system and you will see how that works. But it's very hard to know from day one. And the really small teams that launch and a lot of the governance power ends up in the, the hands of the creators or the hands of the early investors and things, that's, that's naturally going to happen. But they, don't, they want it to become more decentralized. But how they distribute that power and those tokens, it takes a lot of thought, takes time probably. Um, and some end up like not doing it that well. And they, they, they want to be more decentralized and they don't and they can't. And so that then 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 often like it's not really that well of a decentralized distributed DAO. And so then you're back to like the, the early days of, you know, a few people control a lot of it. And then it's less interesting as a decentralized organization. Yeah, interesting. It, it's kind of like if, if uh, DAO is planning on doing an airdrop or you think they might, then a lot of people will, I don't know what the word is, but like do an airdrop attack in the sense Farm. that like they're, 
yeah, farm. Thank you. Where they're pretending to be really engaged in whatever ways they think will lead to them being granted a lot of tokens. And then you may end up with lots of those farmers as your governance holders instead of the people who are really engaged. Um, that's yeah. a great one. Um, all right. So let's turn to the next story of the week. Uh, this one, we'll, we'll actually dig a little more into that Uki Dao case because we haven't talked about that yet on the show since the uh, final ruling was handed out. Um, so this article is from Coindesk and the headline is CFTC wins lawsuit against Uki Dao. The regulator's victory serves as proof decentralized entities can face legal consequences for their dealings contrary to popular belief. All right. So first of all, if people if really popular belief is still that you cannot be held legally accountable for your actions just because you're doing it through a DAO, then people are wrong. <laughs> like that's that's kind of a given uh, to me. Now, I do often talk about and Sky, you've heard me talk about kind of evolutionary versus revolutionary DAOs where, you know, most of the DAOs that are out there, I think people are not trying to hide from the world. They're trying to just fit into the regulatory environment. And I mean, that's what we help people with at my DAO. And so maybe that's that's just mostly what I see. You do also have the more revolutionary DAOs, as I like to call them, which are DAOs that really uh, do want to just like hide from the legal system and say, look, we're going to be totally anonymous. We're going to be censorship resistant unstoppable to your point, even to the point that the government can't stop us. And so, you know, in, in, in that case, you know, the use of tools and technology and the things that blockchain makes a possible, perhaps the goal is to um, is to avoid legal consequences. But but again, I think in most cases, you know, the way DAOs should be thinking about this is that, like, of course, like any group of people in this world that we live in today that engages in a common enterprise or that comes together to work on something together, whatever you want to call it, um, pretty much every government in the world is, is going to look at what you do. And if it's if they think it's illegal or if there's been some kind of fraud or whatever, you know, the situation is, you're getting sued. Of course, they're going to try to hold you accountable. And I think one of the key learnings from this uh, this Uki Dao case is that the court in California, there were two things that kind of went wrong for the Dow. So first of all, the court in California in the United States said, we do have jurisdiction over you. And the reason for that is that you don't have a legal entity anywhere in the world. And so we can kind of pick and choose what jurisdiction we might hold you accountable in. And you have some members in California. And so we're going to so for those reasons, we're going to you know, give our court jurisdiction over you. So if that DAO had a legal entity, obviously, I love the Marshall Islands because that's where we do our legal entity work. Then the court in California would say, oh, like we don't have jurisdiction here, like go sue them in the Marshall Islands or wherever, you know, uh, makes more sense for whatever reason. Um, the second thing here is because they don't have a legal entity, the individuals are being held directly accountable for the DAO's activity. And this is another thing that, you know, we've been saying for a while. And I think a lot of any lawyer you talk to in the space will, will have been saying this for the last several years that, you know, without any kind of like corporate umbrella or legal protection, of course, the members of the DAO will potentially be held liable as individuals for the DAO's activity. And so it's another good reason to create a legal entity. Um, the other side of the story, though, is, you know, some of the activity, I think, was criminal anyways, or criminal or broke securities laws in a way that even if you did have a legal entity, they would still go after the founders of this DAO and hold them liable for, for example, offering unregistered securities and futures and options and 
Um, so that, you know, that again goes to the regulatory risk of what, you know, business your DAO is in and what service it's providing. So anything there to react to Sky or, or add? Yeah. Um, I'm not an expert on the case, but my understanding is one of their, you know, defense arguments with, where they were trying to use decentralization as a, uh, as like a defense. I, I, as we spoke about earlier, I actually don't think Uki DAO in how, how it was operating or set up was actually a proper on-chain decentralized DAO in any way. Um, I think there were like a couple different multi-sigs on a couple different chains. One multi-sig might not have even been a wallet. It might have been like one of one or just a normal wallet. I think that's where the money got taken from. The multi-sig that had actually a three of five or a two of three or something, which is also a very small set of people, I believe that that was actually safe and wasn't. There was nothing exploited from there. So in my mind, I don't. That's not a good case on DAOs because I don't even consider that like anywhere close to a proper decentralized DAO. If we took some of the extremes, the example I often use the most is like Uniswap Protocol DAO, which actually. The token holders own, you know, there's 360,000 wallets that own the actual protocol. They could turn on a fee. They have uh, the right to do some settings. That's 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 actually like a really decentralized um, owned DeFi protocol. I would call that a protocol DAO. Um, some people would consider Ethereum uh, uh, a DAO just with off-chain voting. But like I, I can vote with my Ether tokens and meaning like by the actions I take, right? And so those two are extreme examples of very, very decentralized. Some would even say so decentralized that they couldn't have legal entities. Um, we couldn't put the, everyone that has ether into a legal entity. Um, that's very extreme thinking. Or this, yeah, these are extreme examples. But that's like when it's become when you're using true decentralization. I think the risks and how you can assign liability and things is slightly different. Like the question is, is the, are those 360,000 unit token holder wallets all liable or responsible for all of the money that is flowing through a pretty per, uh, permissionless DeFi protocol called Uniswap protocol and uh, that's running on Ethereum? And I don't know the answer to that, but I would say not, not really. And if, if, if that, would, that, that would be a very interesting court case. And I think the SEC has mm. been investigating Uniswap for you know, a couple of years, if that went to court, I would be more interested in what the court says about that case than the Uki Dow case. Cause I don't even consider that really a proper mm. Dow. So, yeah, that's such a great point. Um, and definitely going to be interesting to see when these larger Dows do end up in some kind of legal battle. But, but I think you're right. I mean, if I just think about from a rational perspective, if, if you're really just like a user of the protocol, like effectively you have like 0.001 governance rights and you just have those because like you use the protocol, it just kind of makes sense. Or maybe you were rewarded as a user with some governance rights. Should you really be held liable for like what that DAO is doing day to day versus maybe there's a team of like 50 people who are the developers and the engineers and the designers who actually uh, work on the protocol day to day. And I mean, again, even in, in a traditional corporate setting, the employees and, and uh, who work on a project are not held liable, right? Again, because yeah. there's like a, a legal entity. And of course, like you're, you're not going to hold like the employee of the company liable yeah. for its activity. It's like, we all kind of know that naturally, but I, I do wonder where, if anywhere, you know, liability would fall in that type of yeah. like truly but decentralized even, situation. 
Yeah, even in the Uniswap case, though, the the people that work at Uniswap Labs, the company in New York, like they actually, they have unit token just like the other people have unit token, but they're not working on the protocols. It's like on Ethereum. They're working on like some code on GitHub that's going to potentially be the next version of um, Uniswap, which is now they're considering it a public good. It's open for anyone to contribute to. So it's not even them working on it anymore, which is like a whole nother step to like a decentralized protocol. The world is going to build it instead of the small team in New York. And then it's going to go onto Ethereum and 300, 400,000 people having the token are going to own it and control it. I don't know what, how that's never happened before, which is why there are no court cases or governments that know how to look at that. That's why it's all very difficult and so new. Um, but I agree with you that like, it's okay. Like I like the idea of these on-chain protocols like that being, um, being like on-chain DAOs. I'm okay with Uniswap DAO being an on-chain protocol without a legal entity, but Anyone that's contributing to it, like Uniswap Labs or a small dev team or a marketing team or even a single person, I agree that these people should probably have legal entities. Um, it doesn't hurt to have legal entity and you contribute to this on-chain collective via a legal entity. Mm, yeah, good point. Good point. And I know there's some legal entities involved, right? To your point, the on-chain labs, uh, there could be um, a foundation involved. I'm not sure that maybe holds like the intellectual property of the name and the logo. Um, so yeah, yeah. Great point. All right. Uh, turning to the next story, actually, this is going to be a tweet, uh, from optimism. Um, and, uh, optimism tweet, uh, thread is the following and I'll read several of the, of the tweets. Over the next 10 weeks, we are doing a deep dive into the key findings and recommendations from La La Lavender's research into the history of DAOs and their policies, programs, and processes. The first takeaway we want to focus on is related to voting. Let's take a look. DAOs should match their decision-making models to decision type. Early DAOs mirrored direct democracies with token holders voting on all decisions, but this isn't always the most efficient or optimal method. Recognizing this, many DAOs transitioned to representative democracy using elected councils. While this streamlines operations, it can concentrate power. Instead, the goal should be to deploy multiple decision-making models, each tailored to the decision type. The trick is knowing when to use which model. Some decisions need more decentralization, while others can tolerate less. Vitalik Buterin's concave versus convex decision-making model is useful here. Vitalik Buterin writes that when decisions are convex, decentralizing the process of making that decision can easily lead to confusion and low quality compromises. When decisions are concave, relying on the wisdom of the crowd can give better answers. So I just want to explain this last thing because I'm sure that's very confusing to a lot of people listening, especially if you haven't read Vitalik's article, which is a good, very technical article. Um, what he's saying is, imagine that we put all the decisions that a DAO might have to make into two categories, right? Which is an oversimplification. But on one hand, you have decisions where a compromise is going to be the best outcome. Like you want to kind of find the middle ground, like what's going to please like group A and group B, both to like a solid extent, and you end up somewhere in the middle, and then that's the best outcome, right? And he calls that, I think that one is um, concave. And you can imagine like a chart that is like high in the middle where like satisfaction is going to be highest overall when you're somewhere in the middle. 
now imagine a convex decision um, where uh, the most utility comes from picking one of the two outcomes, but not compromising. So imagine like a situation where the organization knows it can afford to build one product and you're trying to choose between two products that you could build. And if you end up like with a mesh somewhere in the middle where it's like half of product one and half of product two, then like that's just it's not going to make any sense. It's not going to work. And so in that type of situation, you need to pick A or B. Right. And so what Vitalik says is, look, if you want if you're trying to choose A or B, but not be anywhere in the middle, have a vote. But if you need instead to find that compromise, that consensus, that's a little bit of A, a little bit of B, you know, kind of putting these things together then don't use a vote, then try to have, you know, use a different type of decision-making, like even just having discussions and trying to come to, you know, consensus around what a good compromise is. So I think that not every decision is going to fall e easily into one of those two categories. But I think the point is you, if you analyze each decision that has to be made, you can then decide what type of decision-making framework to use. I guess maybe the, the biggest challenge that comes to mind for me when I think about that is who's deciding, right? Because if you have a democratic decentralized governance structure, I, mean, I guess first you could go to the group and say, well, let's vote on which decision-making structure to use and then let's make the decision. Um, sounds a little bit complicated, but either way, I think definitely one of the things I hear a lot about today in the world of DAOs is, is like we've been doing voting for a while now and people are seeing like the good and bad of voting and trying to figure out, are there alternative ways of making decisions in DAOs where we don't always have to just vote for A or B um, and, and, and just pick one of the two? Yeah, I would put all of this. I mean, so this is getting very detailed. This can get very complex. Um, I do. I think about things very high level. I would put all of that into DAOs need to get better at delegation. Uh, and so if the collective doesn't have to make all these decisions and they start doing macro grants, micro grants, moonshot bets, development of their of their next protocol and community like investment ideas, you can come, you can, as long as the overall collective decides as a vote that those five things are important, then they can actually come up with five different ways to run each of those initiatives. Some can be just two people giving out micro grants to people in a certain region, right? Some can be, uh, you know, a much wider group of people from outside communities that as a collective, they have awesome information because they're experts in their field and they can direct one of the initiatives. And so I, I, I like the idea of coming up with the best way to execute and initiate and decide uh, on the different initiatives um, and they can all be different. And we should actually experiment with um, more than more than one of them. Like even for micro grants, we could do micro grants where Half the micro grants are given out by the two of us because we're experts in something. And then the rest of the micro grants are given out by a token wide vote. That's very easy to do on snapshot. And we can see which of those, uh, which of those methods leads to better micro grants. And we have to do so. Any, so once we do start doing delegation in DAOs, the second most important thing, which is the other main thing that I've discovered DAOs need to get better at is evaluation. So if we get if DAOs get really good at delegation of power and money and then and decision making, and then they get really good at evaluation of those things that they just did, 
then the DAO can take the next epoch or you know the next period and they can learn uh, from what they did and they can improve on it and they can have more success in the next round. So those yep. are the two biggest things. Uh. So relatedly, the next tweet I want to highlight is from Brantley.eth or at Brantley Milligan. And this is actually a long post, which I guess you can do on Twitter now. And the headline is, A Call for DAO Minimalism in Protocol Governance. ENS DAO is a case study. So what Brantley argues in this post is basically, don't do governance unless you have to. <laughs> like, it's hard. If things can operate without needing official governance, just do it without DAO governance. And when you do need governance, he says, cut 95% of what the DAO is doing and only ping the delegates once a year for the annual budget and an occasional or rare update in registration parameters. So he's saying like, just use a DAO for the biggest decision, do an annual budget and then let the team run with it. Um, so I think that's, it's, it's one good example of kind of maybe taking it a little bit to an extreme, but just leaving certain types of decisions to the entire community. And then to your point, right, delegate and let people run with whatever that decision was. Personally, one of the most exciting things to me is more of like a liquid uh, representative democracy or like a liquid delegation where, you know, you can the DAO can vote someone into power in some kind of like capacity. Right. Like you're, you're delegating them to do. <laughs> like a certain thing. Um, but then you can pull that back at any time, right? At any moment, you can take your tokens back and put them for a different person. Or maybe you provide a budget that's going to be paid out monthly. And then at any point during that year, if the entire DAO decides, you know what, this isn't going well, let's pull back the budget, right? And yeah. so now you are delegating, but you're also retaining the right to kind of like undelegate or redelegate at any time. I think that's going to yeah. be a really powerful model. Yeah, that's a good summary and a good, I mean, I like the idea of uh, that he's proposing. Uh, I think some people are trying that a little here and there. And what you just described is kind of a, a good summary of some of the things we were talking about earlier. But yeah, getting really good at not that much governance, uh, delegation, evaluation, and then re-governance. Uh, and if you can minimalize that, that's that's amazing, yeah. Yep. All right. The last news story of the day is also another tweet. And this tweet is from Zora, uh, which is at our Zora. And the tweet is announcing the Zora network. This was just a day or two ago. Zora announced that they are launching a, a, a layer two uh, on Ethereum based on the optimism framework and technology. And why I'm really excited about this, I mean, usually people hear about Zora um, because of their NFTs and their NFT platform that people use to launch their NFT projects. So get a lot of media, a lot of big projects. The reason I like Zora is they're also really involved in DAOs. So they built something called uh, Nouns DAO and, and, the, and a protocol called Nouns Builder that allows anyone to create a DAO that works like the Nouns DAO. Um, and for anyone who doesn't know, I'll just give a brief summary of how nouns works because it's really interesting. So nouns is a model and forget about the word nouns. They could have picked anything. But um, basically, it's a DAO where once a day there's an auction and the winner of that day's auction gets uh, an NFT that represents one vote in the DAO. An NFT also can look really cool. It's kind of a separate question. But, um, uh, you know, what this has led to is DAOs where as long as you have, let's say, a large group of people, thousands or tens of thousands or more people who would love to be a part of the DAO, 
they all have to bid every day and, and find kind of the market price for being the next person to enter the DAO. So in the case of the original nouns, they've actually raised millions, I think tens of millions of dollars, because every day these auctions are going for like twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars. So of course that's going to be the exception, not the rule. But there are a lot of other DAOs. I think every day there are DAOs launching on the Nouns Builder, which you can find at Nouns.Builder to use that similar model. And you can do once a day, you could do once an hour, you can set whatever minimum price you want. So I'm part of a couple Nouns DAOs where um, the the daily auction ends up being like a hundred to two hundred dollars, and so it's much more affordable. You're either supporting a protocol or it's a community. It could be for fun, could be for business, could be for charity, and um, yet you're still raising money over time. So you know, I think I was member 126 in Purple DAO, which is a DAO that supports the Farcaster ecosystem. That's a Web3 social uh, protocol. And uh, purple, you know, the auction goes for one or two hundred dollars a day. And now we have like one hundred thousand dollars in the treasury because it's been two hundred and fifty days. Anyways, Zora is the one. Yeah. They're the developers. That's the development company that, that built this platform. And the first layer two they are taking Nouns Builder to is their own layer two Zora. So I'm really excited for there to be another blockchain that may end up. It's a layer two that may end up being very DAO oriented or DAO focused. Um, kind of like Gnosis Chain is one that, you know, for a while people have considered to be a very DAO friendly chain. Um, so that's what's exciting to me about this story. Anything to add, Sky? Totally. So a couple things. I, I like that you brought up nouns because I'm a big fan of nouns. So the original nouns DAO and then a hand of nouns derivatives um, were like actually just forks of nouns. And then Zora, which is an amazing organization in the space, they have like the hyperstructure paper they are doing lots of creative stuff they decided on their own to build what you're yeah what you mentioned is nouns.build which is this tool that makes it very easy for other people to do that because otherwise you kind of have to like fork all the code and do it this you can do like a no code like click a bunch of settings and click the button and get your own nouns fork um it has it fits within their structure um I'm a member of uh, Public Nouns, which is another Nouns DAO-like uh, DAO. And we are a lot like Nouns DAO, um, similar mechanism, uh, but we have all public goods-oriented people that are excited and are involved in the DAO. And so we auction off Public Nouns you know, twice a day, and we use all of the money in the treasury as a group to do experiments in the public goods space. Um, so that's that's a really cool way to like, yeah, a lot of people are taking nouns idea mechanism and then applying a very specific goal or mission or niche to that. And it's a great way to to do it. Uh, there are some risks with nouns DAOs, which um, we can get into if we want to the details. But in general, Zora and, and Zora with nouns build. And we're realizing that a lot of these things, we we really need to be thinking about building these things on L2s like even mm. whether it's the future of Uniswap or the future of DAOs or the future of anything, we, we know that like gas is not that high right now, but like it's going to go back up. It's going to go mm -hmm. up. It's going to get really expensive. We actually need to keep building with layer two first in mind so that, that people can have a good experience when they're using these things and they're not spending, you know, $50 on gas every time. And so that, the fact that they're already thinking about nouns build on L2 and all of these projects, which they have like a community post with a bunch of cool projects, NFT related and creatives and artists and things, and thinking about how they can all fit into the, the L2 that they're, the L2 ecosystem that they're, they're creating. 
And there's a lot of L2s already, but like we may see in the next year a hundred more L2s come out. And this is where I get a little overwhelmed. It's it's a little hard for me to mm. understand how when we have 125 L2s, how we're going to interact with those and how they're going to talk with each other. And so that's mm. going to happen. We're going to have to solve that, solve that, but it's going to happen. And these theme-based L2s are coming. There's gaming ones, there's DeFi ones, there's, you know, app specific ones there's creative ones there's public good ones and so that's something that i'm looking forward to seeing how it's gonna play out but it's yep. it's not it, it it's gonna get a little tricky uh we're gonna ha- we're gonna be overwhelmed mm. with a bunch of l2s before we figure out how it yeah. all works yeah it's very interesting yeah I, I definitely say i mean that i think it's a good piece of alpha like l2s are gonna be huge this year or you know in the next 12 months say because I mean, especially when the next bull market comes, assuming it comes, but um, gas fees are high. Like if, if there's a compelling alternative L2 that everyone uses, even just for accepting payments, like our company, when we get paid for a legal entity for a DAO and they send the money on Ethereum, that costs them 10 bucks or more if gas is high, right? And then we send the money to Circle so that we can take it out into our bank account um, in, in a lot of cases. And the total fees are way less than credit card fees, by the way. So like still awesome, even if we had to do it on Ethereum, but I'd rather save the 10 bucks every time I got to send money to Circle. So if we could do it on Arbitrum, which I, I, I think uh, Circle just uh, launched, you know, native support for Arbitrum, um, that's going to be amazing. But to your point, yeah, what happens when there's 150 chains to choose from is going to be interesting to see. Yeah. So, all right, that does it for the Just Dow It News Report. Uh, now we're going to turn to our featured guest interview with Sky. We're going to dig into some really interesting Dow-related topics. Um, before we get too deep, um, let's just take one step back and introduce you in a little bit more detail to the audience. So would you just tell us again, I know you probably did this a year ago for anyone who did listen, but how did you get into Web3 and DAOs in the first place? And what are you working on now? Yeah, uh, I was, I, okay. I come from a, originally I come from a commodities finance background. So for me, the first uh, interest in crypto was like digital commodities, um, understanding that uh, as Bitcoin as that. Uh, but then in really, you know, 2017, I was getting into the Ethereum space and everything crazy was happening. Uh, and I started working in the space full time in 2018, uh, was working for a blockchain, uh, which actually was a DAO, one of, one of the first DAOs. Um, which was actually POA Network, um, which then uh, launched XDI Chain, which then became Gnosis Chain. So have experience in in that kind of in that in that vertical. Um, but then in the bear market, uh, you know, of 2018 2019, uh, really found DAOs as uh, interesting communities. Started uh, originally contributing to the Meta Cartel Grants DAO ecosystem. Uh, saw that all of the projects and things and the things that the people in that space were doing and then kind of latched onto DAOs. Uh, and then uh, the last basically yeah, a few years, I've contributed to a, a whole bunch of DAOs, but one of the DAOs that I was working with is, is DXDAO uh, in the DeFi space, which was a, you know, a very decentralized DAO from the start. It was originally started and it was birthed by Gnosis and DAOstack to manage the Dutch exchange. It then kind of grew a life of its own. It raised money. 
And it actually started, its mission was to build DeFi products in the space and also governance tools and, and really focus on the actual, it was, it's always been a very, at the far end of the spectrum of a, of a decentralized DAO. And so it always wanted to take the path of the decentralized path. And so any of the products and tools and things that, that didn't exist, uh, that to actually function as proper centralized DAO, it started investing in or building itself. And so that was the goal. And it was nice to see that happening in the space when a lot of things were coming out as centralized teams that wanted to become DAOs. We were seeing if we, if you know, DXDAO plus a handful of other DAOs were trying to build products and things as DAOs. But there's a lot of, you know, lessons learned over that time. Uh, and, and it actually recently dissolved. Um, and so, and, and, you know, in the last probably six, nine months, there's a lot of stories about DAOs either uh, kind of, not, we'll, we'll call, use the word dying, but either lack of attention or stagnation or running out of money and not having a runway or um, having, having other problems, not getting the users or the revenue that it needs to have more sustainability. And so we've actually seen quite a few DAOs kind of pass on over the last number of months. Um, and there's lessons. Yeah, there's lessons we can learn from that. It's no one's ever really thought about before the, now, like how a DAO can die or how it can close down or uh, what happens to any of the resources left and, and the people. And so, um, yeah, so we've been in the last few months at lots of events from Soulbound to DAO Tokyo to DAO Palace to, uh, to other events one of the big topics is the kind of the life cycle of DAOs and the, the end of life planning for DAOs and how you should think about from the start. Like if you're going to start a DAO today, you should definitely think about how it's going to end or what the plan for it is in the future. And you can make DAOs that you, if you, if your plan is for it to live on forever, that's good to know too, but you should at least be thinking about that from the start now. And it's, it becomes really interesting. There's, you can start to think about all these different thought experiments about how you could think about the end of a DAO, whether you program it in, whether it's um, time-based or capital-based or mission-based or accomplishment-based uh, or some third party can decide. And so forcing that decision point becomes really interesting. And the cool thing is the people, because the autonomous in DAOs for me is the DAO is not necessarily autonomous, but the people that are in a DAO are autonomous. They can make their own decisions. They can choose to contribute to that DAO or not DAO, not contribute or another DAO. And so even though these DAOs and these mechanisms can pass and move on, the people that are contributing, the people that are, make up these DAOs still live on and their ideas live on. And so they can always form new DAOs, right, with new ideas or, or a new path. And, and get new capital and new uh, people and they can go different ways. And so it's kind of, you think of it as a forest, right? You can have a tree, but if the tree dies, it goes into the soil and new things sprout up. Like the DAO can, da the DAO ecosystem and these, and these, uh, these projects can be like a continuous cycle of ideas and things. And so, yeah, it's really interesting to see this all happening now and the bear market, you know, I think accelerates it, but, uh, we're learning a lot. And I think all of that knowledge will be useful uh, for going forward in the DAO space. Yeah, no kidding. And I'm really excited to dig into DXDAO in particular in more detail um, in this interview. I think it's interesting that the language that you use is like 
really anthropomorphizing the DAO in the sense of saying like it's dying, it's passing on. You know, I think most businesses probably have an exit strategy. Is that basically what we're talking about here or is it different for DAOs for some reason? Well, when you say exit, so, okay, for startups, exit strategy is usually like the the optimistic exit strategy. Like I either become an IPO, I become a public company or I get yeah. acquired or something, right? You know, most startups fail, right? And But in the document, my understanding is in the documents of all like legal entity startups and things, there's, there's very clear language um, in these documents about if this thing is going to fail or end or die, like what has to happen from the board members to the assets of the company to the people of the company, right? It, like that, that over many, many years has been well thought out and is often in the, the document when you create the company, the, the, what happens when the company ends is in it, right? When we created DAOs the last four years, that none of that was in any documents, right? There's no, this mm. is what will happen if the DAO needs to end or if it needs to change its mission or if it runs out of money. There was, there is no, there is no, nothing written about that. So we had, mm. we we're having to do it live basically. Uh, and I, yeah, there's optimistic endings as well, but we haven't had many things like acquisitions, right? But mm. some people, when they launch the token, a project launches a token, it becomes a DAO. It like exits to the community or exits to the public. Some people kind of think of that as an IPO, but what that mm. just means is everyone is, they're expanding their stakeholders and their governors, but the project isn't dying. The project is living on. So that would be, um, I guess an optimistic expansion of uh, of a community or a DAO. Yeah, interesting. Um, and I, now that I think about it, I mean, I, I think one thing you're referring to is so there's a lot of situations where if the DAO doesn't find a way to die gracefully, there's some probably uglier ways that it might die. So, for example, a lot of DAOs, you know, if you have a, li a liquid token um, that is, is tradable that controls the DAO, there's always this risk of a 51% governance attack where if the DAO can do anything it wants to with a 51% vote and what's stopping 51% of the people from saying, you know what, we're just going to vote to give 100% of the DAO's assets to ourselves and screw over the other 49% of people. And I think when things are not going well, there's probably even more incentive to do that because people are, maybe there's drama, it's stressful. They're not as optimistic about the future of the DAO. And so, you know, if there's a scenario where someone might perform that type of governance attack, perhaps if there was an easier way for them to exit or, or, or a way, you know, a planned way of, of shutting down the DAO more gracefully, maybe they would opt for that instead of doing the, 51% attack? I mean, is, is that something yeah. that you're seeing as these DAOs are reaching end of life that it's like either we need to find a way to die gracefully or else it's going to happen in this less graceful way? Yeah. Yeah. A couple of things on that. So the, uh, so in that, in that attack scenario, one of the things, one of the important things is, is the governance token, a true governance token that has actually control and say of like that treasury for example right because if you if it's just a signal governance token and there's a multi-sig of the founders or, or a handful that actually have the actual say of the treasury you can't attack it with the fake 
the fake governance token or the signal governance. So you can't attack. And most DAOs in the space, there is a multi-sig like that. Not all of them, but many there are. And so that that, that affects that, that attack vector. Um, many DAOs die by stagnation or lack of attention. And when you stop paying attention or, yeah, mainly there are, there are certain DAO frameworks where if you are not paying attention, it can more easily be attacked. And so that's just like an attacker can treasure if no one's paying attention. And there's, there's uh, you know, presentations. Isaac Packa has done presentations at Dev about this, like DAOs that got attacked because no one was paying attention to them. Um, and then uh, your second, um, what was your second uh, point? Uh, I'm blanking on it. Now. Well, just thinking about, you know, if, if there's a more graceful way, if, if we can provide a more graceful option for exiting so that people would do that instead of this type of like 51% totally. attack. It was on kind of, we've divided these things into a couple of things. So in, in these communities, in these organizations, if you have a, a right to exit, we all, most of us believe in web three in this open world, like people per, should have a right to exit. You should, no one should be held into something that they don't want to be. So in Malik Dow frameworks, there's often a thing called rage quit. Rage quit means you can leave at any time that if you don't like something that's going on, you can leave at any time with your then share of what's left in the DAO, right? And no one can stop you from doing that. That's really powerful. And so it, it basically is a check on people doing bad things in the DAO because if someone tries to do something bad, everyone can just rage quit their funds and then th that thing can't, can't happen. Um, in generally in liquid token governance, which is a whole nother. So those, those the Malik DAO is often non-transferable governance power using like a share and DX DAO used rep. But in liquid token systems where capital matters, like you're saying, um, if there's liquidity on the token and you can and you don't like what's going on, so for example, Uniswap protocol DAO. If I have a bunch of Unit token and I don't like what's going on with their DAO, they're wasting money. They're they're not making progress. I can just sell my tokens on the on the open market because it's pretty liquid. And so that is me exiting the community, right? Now the question is. If I wanted to just, if I actually wanted to exit, but like, let's say the market cap of the token was 10 million and there was a hundred million dollars of ETH in the treasury. If in that case, if I want to exit, but I actually want my share of the treasury, then it comes down to, is the governance token a true governance token? Um, and, or, or can I, can I negotiate the people that do control the treasury to give me my share of that treasury? Um, and so they're all, it's, the, it's really specific to the, to the DAO, the DAO framework, um, what type of governance they're doing, and then kind of valuations of what's going on in the system. But at the end of the day, for any DAO, especially like a, 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 a DAO that's building products in the space, and DXDAO is an example of this, it had, a, it had plans to build a whole bunch of really interesting products. But it unfortunately was building them. It delivered, you know, a product like Swapper, but it, Swapper doesn't even have governance. Um, the other products were coming along. Some were launched like Omen and then were kind of failed. We're, stopped, we're not being used anymore. Um, but at the end of the day, you can only go on for so long without delivering like a bunch of or a single or more than one complete product that then gets users and hopefully starts to earn revenue for that system and that's how you reach like financial sustainability is when you're 
uh, and your, you know, your revenues and your protocol revenues are, are more than your cost. And, and there's actually in the DeFi space, there's only a handful of projects that are like net, like revenue positive or net profitable. And part of the reason is many protocols, the, the amount of tokens they give out through emissions and, and farming actually is way more than the protocol revenues. Mm -hmm. So like a great example of a, of a, a really successful project in the DeFi space that's been an OG long time for, for around for a long time is probably Maker. Maker as mm -hmm. a system is like net profitable. Um, Uniswap protocol would be net profitable if it actually turned on a, a, a protocol fee. Uh, it doesn't really give out emissions and it like has massive users and massive volume. And if it turned on a fee, it would be making money. Um, mm. But even I think examples like Curve, which is a massive protocol used by many, many people. I believe the last time we looked like the emissions are bigger than the protocol revenue that comes into the system. And so mm. this is all like, product market fit or sustainability. Um, I think the user base in general compared to traditional world is very still, is still small. And I think we all, we think it's all going to grow a lot. And so these things could become profitable because they're building their, you know, their key, their key pieces to a, a future de de decentralized financial system. But at this point, we're still working through these things. And at some point, especially in a bear market, um, stakeholders will call out and check that ability and the, and what's been delivered by those DAOs, and, th and that's partly why some DAOs have recently been forced to uh, to you know close or dissolve or shut down. So, so is that what happened with DXDAO? It, it just unfortunately wasn't able to build successful products, and so people decided, hey, if this isn't working, we should just shut it down and find a different way. And and ha I mean, how did that happen? Like, what what went wrong over time, or nothing went wrong, and it's just natural? I mean, how would you assess the situation? Yeah, uh, it's it's these products are very hard to build. DeFi products, governance products. Um, we were working through it. It wasn't moving as fast. Bear market. It's hard to get users. It's a very the the DeFi space is very competitive. Um, we we have we had interesting things. We had unique things like Omen, which is the prediction market platform. Um, even though Vitalik and people talk about prediction markets a lot, I'm like so far not many people mm. seem to be big users of of prediction market uh, platforms. So yeah. Um, I guess without products that are getting users and, and it, or seeing a path to lots of users and lots of revenue, uh, if, we, if you're just kind of moving along, there should be a decision point, right? And that decision point was probably forced by a few different stakeholders. Um, but it's the cool thing about letting a DAO die or dissolve is that people can take that capital and those the re the human resources that are contributing to that DAO and they can they can spin up in fresh uh, sprouts from like the ground and, and come up with new ideas and new projects and stuff and so mm -hmm. three of the three projects that are in ex that spun out during the dissolution of the DAO which is Swapper and AMM carrot uh like an incentive token platform and then davi which is a governance uh framework uh tooling framework those three got some runway from the dow and there's a small team of devs that are working on those products still those can you know they are their own projects they can become their own DAOs, um so they have a chance it's not like the whole thing just died but 
spinning them out, letting them see if they can fly is kind of what was done in the proposal. Um, and then giving majority of the capital, which is, which is, which basically belonged to the DXD token holders, giving it that back to the DXD token holders. And then a, a bit of capital went to, uh, the rep holders um, who had the governance power in DXDAO. But that's, yeah, it was, you know, that's pretty, that's, I guess, I guess it's a rather orderly dissolution. There's a handful of things that were like unanswered and still outstanding, but the DAO does not really have a way to do any governance currently. It does not, hmm. it does not have a system that it can govern with. So those unanswered questions actually can't really be answered as a DAO. They could be answered or suggestions by some individuals and things, but the DAO cannot currently do any governance, which is kind of weird. Yeah. So, so how, how did that happen? Is that because all of the, you know, why can't the DAO do governance? Did they somehow automatically swap out people's tokens for yeah. assets so the, or? Once the signal proposal passed to dissolve the DAO, um, and that actually passed, and it had some of the details of what that would mean, um, there was basically a, uh, a multi-sig, which we could, let's say it a god multi-sig, that was um, everyone that voted for the proposal to dissolve the DAO was put on that multi-sig. And the the that multi-sig basically took control of the entire DAO. So oh, wow. rep voting, which is the governance power of the normal framework, doesn't really matter anymore because there's a multi-sig that, um, that basically controls the entire DAO. And so it can mint unlimited rep. It can burn anyone's rep. It can do whatever it wants. So there's effectively not a DAO, a working DAO framework. Um, and one of the responsibilities of that closure multi-sig is to... Um, let people who have DXD redeem it for their share of the treasury. So what you can do if you have DXD token currently, mm -hmm. it's, it's eventually not going to be, yeah, it's not going to be valuable. So if you have it, you should go to either uh, CowSwap or Uniswap. And there is basically like a standing wall order where you can sell at the, the closure price. You can sell your DXD uh, for ETH and take uh, your share of the ETH away as a DXD holder. Wow. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because I do have some DXD and I haven't been paying close attention. So <laughs> yeah. anyone in the audience- You have a year. Too. You have a year from the, from the- That's good. I guess from that proposal to do it. But, but yeah. yeah, get the word out. We don't want people holding yeah. um, a, a token that will eventually be worthless. Um, hmm. So Wow. Interesting. Um, Okay, so what have you learned from this experience that you will apply to future DAOs or other DAOs that you're involved in? And not just like if things go wrong, but like from the beginning, how do you actually prepare for this type of situation more effectively? Yeah. Um, it's a cool ex thought experiment is like the original, the DAO, right? Let's if the if the original the DAO didn't and that was kind of like a big venture DAO with fifteen percent of the ETH from the ecosystem in the DAO. Imagine that that thing still existed and was in you know owned so many of the protocols on Ethereum and things. I, it's hard to imagine how that governance would be happening today. It would be so big, uh, and so like generalized DAOs without like very clear missions are probably less. They, they, it's harder for them to have success than maybe more narrow, smaller uh, focused DAOs that have like a very clear mission. 
And so this is thinking about the the objective of the DAO. Like some, a lot of you know friends of, and with and me will like spin up a DAO to do like a certain thing for like two weeks, and we could do that as a DAO. We could not do that as a DAO, but like you, you have like a very specific project or mission based DAO. Um, and so it's okay to have DAOs that like only do a certain thing and then you don't use it anymore. Um, thinking about the end of the DAO. So end of DAO planning, like, you know, end of life planning for people, they start talking about that before it becomes necessary. So end of DAO planning, you, you shouldn't do like, as you're approaching the end of DAO, you should actually do end of DAO planning when you create the DAO, you should, you should, you can, you can have a decision point. An example would be, we're going to create a DAO in one year from now, there's going to be a decision point. Either it's, and at that decision point, um, we could like do a vote for it to continue on, or we could do a, a vote to uh, close it. Or you could just say in one year, this DAO will close hmm. and that will shut down. Everyone will be returned their money. And we'll know that that's coming. So if it's still going the way we want it to, we can just spin up a new DAO and people can mm. re-up into that new DAO. So it actually mm. is a way to like filter, like if someone's not paying attention or doesn't care anymore, they're going to get you know, knocked out of the first DAO that closes and they'll, they probably won't come in the new DAO. And so you'll have like a filter mechanism for like removing some of the people that are not involved. Um, and it's kind of a forced decision. Um, so there's all these different things and tools and tricks like that that you could start to think about for DAOs, um, whether they'll work or not. Yeah, we, we'd have to try some of them. Um, hmm. But yeah, and, and a common kind of clear mission is important. Um, but yeah. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, I feel like on the mission point, I see a couple paths that DAOs can go. I feel like it's either extreme either have a clear mission so that people getting involved know what their money is going to be used for and what you're going to be working on. Or I think there's also a set of DAOs and it's really like the community oriented DAOs that don't necessarily really need to have a mission for how they're going to spend their money, but made at least for how they're going to spend their money. Maybe the mission is like be a community for all of the alumni from this school or whatever it is, then over time, you might naturally raise money because things tend to get capitalized, especially in crypto. And then you get to decide how you want to spend that money. And maybe in that case, you don't need to know ahead of time how that money is going to be spent. I actually think nouns-ish DAOs tend to be a lot like that in some cases where it's like, hey, if you're interested in this topic, come join the DAO. And then you you pay a little bit to join and now there's money in the treasury and now you decide what you want to do with the money. So, I mean, can that yeah. work too? Or do you just feel like it's always a mistake not yeah. to know what you're going to do with your with your capital? So we know it's still tricky because so the original, the nouns DAO is like going through some, uh, some of their own obstacles or uh, you know issues right now where there are some people that kind of want to like exit the DAO with their share of the treasury um, or, and it's, it's original mission to like meme like, you know, memeify the world with nouns and they also support public goods. And so their mission, their mission and their vision kind of has shifted or expanded over time. But for some people it's maybe not that clear. And so even a big successful project like that, they have a giant treasury, but it's, it's coming down to like, well, what, what does the collective as a whole want to do? And it, and it's tricking, it's turning out to be quite tricky. And so mm. 
uh, it's not like, yeah, it's often not about like how much capital we have to accomplish things. It's about the collective being able to decide on what to do. Uh, yeah. So get blurry, yeah. And I guess what leads to that problem, and I think DXDAO had this problem too, which is maybe a good problem to have, which is when the market value of the tokens is less than the book value or like the asset value of the treasury. So I, I think with nouns DAOs, that's actually going to be pretty common because over time, you know, maybe there's less demand or the economy is not as strong. And so each new token might be selling for significantly less than if you multiply that token's governance share times the amount of money in the treasury. And so yep. in some ways, it's like, well, of course you'd want to join that DAO because for less than $1,000, you can get a token that represents more than $1,000 worth of the treasury. But then, you know, there's this issue of, well, should people be allowed to exit? And, you know, I don't think there's an easy answer to that. Um, so that, that seems like, and probably, I mean, I guess the same thing occurs in the corporate world, right? If there's a company that whose assets are clearly worth more then it's market cap, then probably someone takes the company private, right? Or, or buys all the shares and, and sells the assets. Um, yep. So it could be interesting yeah. to see. And, and, and with DAOs, we have, we have grants DAOs, we have investment DAOs, we have mm. like builder DAOs, we have community DAOs. All these DAOs are different too, because when Nouns DAOs, when Nouns DAO launched, it wasn't, there was no like stated goal that there was going to be like a goal to provide a return to anyone, right? So People weren't expecting a return. And now if there are people that hold nouns that are expecting a return, that becomes a big conflict in the community. Uh, and yep. so yeah, in yeah, investment DAOs are like a whole nother um a whole nother like vertical where there's kind of an expected return, but even rage quit, which is the right to exit that community. When, th when you have investments that are not liquid, you don't really, mm. you can't really rage quit that easily. If oh, all yeah. the tokens are, if everything, all the assets are liquid, you can rage quit with your share. But if you have illiquid things, there is no like exit with your share because your share yeah. might come in the future. Yeah, like most businesses don't have assets exceeding the market value, right? The, the, the value of that business is its intellectual property, um, the future income it will probably generate. And so in most, I'd say probably most cases, you won't actually be in this situation where the book value is so much higher than the market value. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Cool. All right. So having been through everything you've been through in the world of DAOs, a couple of questions for you before we close, you know, and I'll, I'll give them to you both at once. Do you have any new favorite tools or tools you'd recommend that people check out if they're thinking about starting a DAO or they're involved in DAOs? And, and relatedly, any new favorite DAOs that people should check out, again, if they're either new to the world of DAOs or just looking for interesting DAOs to, to learn from? Uh, good question. Uh, in, yeah, in general, uh, I would say like in terms of DAOs. So yeah, if you, if you, if you like DAOs and you like public goods, I would come say, check out public nouns. So it's the site is public nouns.wtf. Uh, it's a great way to get introduced to the nouns DAO mechanism. Uh, and it's all about funding experiments in the public good space. Um, and then uh, in terms of tooling, um, there's, yeah, I, I am a, I'm a big uh, believer in like these on-chain tools. And so uh, Malik DAOs, uh, we, you, know, you can check it out at DAO House, are really 
great ways to have true on-chain DAOs where your vote matters. Um, and then obviously safe is like the try, t- uh, tried and tested like base tool. Uh, I'm, I'm actually at an event called Dow Palace here in, in Northern mm-hmm. Germany. And we were, we were, we did a whole thought experiment about like, what is the, like, we're building very complex products and things, but like, what is the hammer of DAOs, right? Like this hammer has been around for so long. It's very simple, but it's so perfect for what it actually does, right? With nails, it can take, put nails in, it can take nails out and it can do a whole bunch of other things. And so we started talking about what are the things like the hammer of DAOs? And I, I'd say a very basic core DAO to Brentley's tweet, like a very basic core DAO that can make these few decisions is a very basic primitive. Uh, mm. And then and then multi-sigs like safes are also very core. People that experience what it is to manage capital as like a two of three or a three of five, and that's the only way you can move that capital. The first time they do that, they're like, holy cow, like this is so different than a bank, right? I just, Mm. we just made a decision together. Three of the five of us made a decision and we moved capital. Like that's a really great feeling for people and it shows you Mm. the power of these tools. And so, yeah, I'm a big fan of all all of those tools. Yeah, so if people want to check that out, uh, the leading provider of these multi-sigs is called Safe, or Gnosis Safe was the old name. Really easy yep. to spin up a, although a little bit expensive if you do it on Ethereum, but um, easy to, to spin up a safe and make it a three of five or a four of seven or, or whatever you want. So definitely yeah. recommend. And they're on all the other chains as well in L2. Good so point. You can, you can do it yep. there as well, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay, awesome. Sky, this has been amazing. Uh, where can people find you and or your projects on the web and on social? Yeah, this, uh, the public nouns one is publicnouns.wtf. Uh, yeah, if you have your, any DXD, make sure you go and sell it uh, against the order. Uh, and then my Twitter is S-M-I-N-E-R-T. Awesome. Thank you. Where do people go to sell their order? CowSwap, you said? Cow swap or one inch, uh, you can sell it either one. Awesome. All right. So to the audience, uh, you can find me on Twitter at zero X thriller or, uh, my DAO is at my DAO DS that's M I D A O D S or my DAO.org. Um, none of this has been, or ever is legal advice or tax advice or financial advice. You should always find a lawyer to answer any questions and give you advice about particular legal matters. Um, again, Sky, thank you so much for being on the show. This has been so much fun. Adam, thanks for having me. Yep. And for the audience, are you thinking about starting a DAO? Just DAO it.